0: All right, so we're going to jump back into our Anchor Sermon Series. Uh, We've been going through this for some time. Um, Anchors... uh Interestingly enough, were early symbols in the early church that they actually used anchors. Oftentimes we think it might have been a cross or a fish, but they actually used anchors because they were anchoring themselves to Christ, and it comes out of a scripture in Hebrews. And so what we're going to be doing is anchoring ourselves in the catechism, and the catechism is essentially a way of theologically training ourselves, because we want to make sure that we have good theology, or correct biblical theology, which has been important for some time. And that theological training goes all the way back into Judaism and in the early church, and that the Jews. Uh, In Jesus' day, and even to this day now, they recite what is called the Shema. And the Shema is a daily prayer that they recite, which comes from Deuteronomy 6, that essentially is in part what Jesus would have called the great commandment, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your strength. And so it's something that they recite on a daily basis because they're trying to give themselves right thinking, right theology, so they understand God rightly. Because what you believe about God, which is your theology, your thoughts about God, that's your theology, is extremely powerful. If you believe God is angry, you will live in fear. But if you believe God is present and loving, then you have the ability to live freely. Like you know that God loves you and that he loves you freely. Then you are able to live in a very different way than if you thought he was angry. So again, catechism is a way of theological training. And in my opinion points to two ideas, why is Jesus worthy of being Lord and why we should follow him. So there are several different catechisms. We're using the Westminster Shorter Catechism, um, not because well I guess because it's shorter and we're not going to go through all of them. Uh, but because I really do like uh, at least the first question. And the Westminster Catechism comes out of Scotland, the Churches of England, Scotland, and Ireland from 1648. And essentially it's 107 different questions. They have a question, and then they have an answer. And the idea is that you ask the question, and then you you have an understanding through the answer. So what we've gone through so far... Is And I somewhat, I I summarize these because a lot of the language is very dated. It's from 1648. And so we've gone through four uh, so far. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Question 18. How did mankind become sinful? Adam's sin and our sin. In what ways was Christ humiliated? He was born to poor people, under the law, with miseries, under God's wrath, being crucified and suffering unto death. And then question 30, how does the Holy Spirit apply to believers? By working faith in us and leading us into our calling with gifts. And we talked about that last week. So we've gone through four. And then today what we're going to be talking about is what benefits do believers receive from from Christ at the resurrection. At the resurrection, believers being raised up in glory shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God to all eternity. So, what do we receive from Christ at the resurrection? What is the resurrection? What is the significance of the resurrection? Um I don't know that I'll be doing another sermon on the resurrection again for some time, because this was really hard to to write. There's a book by N.T. Wright, I forget what it's called, and it's about this thick, and it talks about the resurrection of the dead, and I'm trying to do it in like a 30-minute talk, and it was uh, really hard. So... Essentially, God is creating a new earth and a new people who demonstrate his kingdom. That's the big picture. And so I'll kind of go through how we come to that conclusion biblically. Um, I live over by uh, the Civic Center, and so I'll run around there. And I've been really interested in the resurrection for some time. And so I have their, the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry meets over there. And so I'll be running around there and I'll see the students coming and going. And so I'll stop some of them if I'm feeling in a particular mood. And I'll say, hey, what, what is this? And they have no idea if I'm a believer or not. And I say, so what is the significance of the resurrection of Christ? Because I'm really interested. Like, what do you think the significance of the resurrection of Christ is? So far, every person, which has been, right, I have a hypothesis that they're going to answer in a particular way, they've answered in that way. They've all said the the significance of the resurrection of Christ is that my sins are forgiven. And I think that it's true of a lot of us, a lot of Christianity, that we often equate Jesus' resurrection with our salvation. And this is true. We are forgiven and saved in Christ but it would be an error to read resurrection in the New Testament and only see it signifying "my salvation." That would be a misreading of the text. Again, God in Christ is making all things new. And in Western, Christ, Western Christians tend to think in terms of the individual or individual salvation. That's how we interpret things. But when we look at the resurrection, it's much bigger than this, although it includes our individual salvation. We think in terms of the individual. God is thinking in terms of the cosmos. Much bigger. Now, if you would like to raise your hand... Uh, If you're in the cosmos, then you can raise your hand because you're in the cosmos. So when God is making all things new, that opportunity then at the same time applies to you. Okay, But for the most part, we tend to think like, well, he was resurrected, and that means that my sins are forgiven. That is really true, but that's like saying cranberry uh, sauce is the whole of a Thanksgiving dinner. There's much more on the table. So the emphasis in modern Western Christianity again, is upon the individual salvation, which again is important. You need to be saved, but our individual salvation is part of a bigger project. Again, God making all things new in Christ. So in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15 uh, 12 through 19, it says this. This is Paul speaking. But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave." But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if, our hope, and if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. So what you see in 1 Corinthians in chapter 15 is Paul is breaking down the resurrection of the dead because obviously some people within that church had questions about uh, the resurrection of the dead. And so Paul explains it because if we're being honest, the resurrection is just weird this is odd. It's very it's very different. People die and then come back from the grave. This is not something that you see all the time. It's just odd, it, to be honest. You're like, how does this even work? So the church in Corinth is asking all these questions, and so then he's answering this. So so Paul is referencing Jesus' Jesus's resurrection, but he's also pointing to something big, bigger, which is the resurrection of all believers. So, if, very simply, if we choose to die with Christ, then we will also live with Christ. If if we take his death as our own, we will also receive the life that he gives. And as he was resurrected from the dead, we will also be resurrected from the dead. And so when we think about in terms of like salvation and all this, it, it is interesting, I don't, Not a lot of people talk about being resurrected, but it's not a fantasy. This is literally the New Testament narrative that Christ is resurrected from the dead and we will be resurrected from the dead, and that God is creating a new heaven and a new earth for those of us who believe. Out of the book of Revelation uh, 21, 1 through 4, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a a a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And they heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Again, God in Christ is making everything new. How do we know that? because of the resurrection of Jesus. But again, it's not just our resurre- or His resurrection, it's also all believers' resurrections. And so this new creation, us, uh, will have a new heaven and a new earth. Last night, my wife and I um, watched the movie Oblivion with Tom Cruise. Anyone ever see that? Oblivion? We weren't sure if we had either. We were like, have we seen this movie or not? I mean, the whole time we kept asking ourselves, I think we've seen this. I'm not sure if we've seen this. And then as you're watching Tom Cruise, you're like, he pretty much plays the same character in every single movie. He's like the same guy. It's like, it could be Mission Impossible just in like this futuristic thing right here. It's all the same character. Um, But anyways, we were watching this last night. And one of the things that they do within movies, if you catch it, and I like catching them, is that they do something that's called foreshadowing. And foreshadowing is at the beginning of the movie... What they'll do is they'll drop hints to you about how the end of the movie is going to go. And so they'll show you, like, okay, this is how it's all going to unfold. And so if you pick it out, you're like, oh, I see that book. Or that saying that they just said was really important because it's all going to tie into the rest of the movie. And so it's called foreshadowing. So I'm always trying to think, like, oh, that's a, like, even last night, Tom Cruise's, like, uh, clone wife said something. And my wife said, oh, that's such a, like, clue to the whole thing and it was okay so foreshadowing is something that you see in movies because it gives you hints about the plot so while on earth Jesus is dropping hints everywhere about the resurrection And one of the ways that we can see this, and again, it's foreshadowing because he's foreshadowing uh, who he is and what he does, is that Jesus raises three people from the dead. So in Luke chapter 7, what we see him doing is that he raises the widow's son. So this is one example that he was out on the road, he saw the widow and they, he was in the coffin or being carried, you know, dead, and Jesus raises the uh, the widow's son who had died. And then what we see, there was a man, James Jairus, and he was a leader within the synagogue, or meaning that he was someone important within the Jewish faith, and that Jesus, that she had died, Jarius's daughter. And so then Jesus goes in, and he brings her back to life. Again, these are foreshadowing, This is a taste of what is to come. And then probably the most well-known is Lazarus, which only occurs within the Gospel of John. And so Lazarus is the brother of Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha are two women who follow Christ and they're very important and, and to be honest one of the very interesting things is that Martha sits at the feet of Jesus which when when people sit at the feet of the rabbi it means that they're a student and so Martha is doing what only men were allowed to do in that day and so um, the interesting thing about that is that she was actually she would be a student of Christ and so um, he was, they were both loved by Jesus and they had a brother named Lazarus who dies and so when Jesus hears about the death of, death of Lazarus, he does something very interesting. He doesn't go right away. He doesn't rush. He's not like, I need to get there instantly, but he actually waits a few days, which and if you like when you read about Jesus, you realize he's he's like kind of funny. You're like, why is he waiting? Like, this is so odd. You would think he would just go right away, but he doesn't. You're like, okay. Um, So he waits several days. And so then John 11, um, they're asking him about this, and Jesus uh, says this. Uh, So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And so when you read this, you're like, well, what is Jesus hoping that they or we will actually believe? What's he hoping for us to believe? And then he goes to the tomb and talks with Martha. Um, And it says this, Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? So Jesus goes to the tomb and he calls Lazarus out. And this ends up becoming like the the big, big one. And so from this point on, actually, when you read in the book of John, it's really interesting that between the beginning and then in Lazarus, what happens after Lazarus is he essentially starts, you start to see Jesus' walking towards the cross. So you have the before Lazarus and then after. So this is a really pivotal moment in the life of Jesus. And he brings Lazarus back from the dead. Because Jesus has power over death, again, Jesus is making all things new. And this is a foreshadowing of the grand resurrection, which is Jesus' resurrection, that he is going to come back from the dead. But Jesus' resurrection is also a foreshadowing of another resurrection, which is our resurrection from the dead. Again, Paul Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 20-25. through But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. After that, the end will come, when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. So, for us, all who belong to Christ will be resurrected from the dead. But here's the thing. And maybe some of you believe this today. (laughs) We're not going to be spending eternity in white robes, at least the way that I understand it, In white robes, sitting there singing. A lot of people think we're just going to be in this ethereal space, just like singing Christian worship songs to God. No, 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 no. We're going to be resurrected physically as Christ was. He is the first of the resurrection. He is the first fruits of the resurrection. God is making everything new. Which includes you and your salvation, but it's much, much bigger than that. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. I don't know what I was expecting the Bethel students to tell me. I mean, I think that would have been like a really long conversation. They're like, do you have like an hour and a half or what? But he is making all things new, that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. So what we see in Christ is the resurrection of the dead has begun The project of God making all things new in Christ has begun, but that project isn't complete just yet, obviously. And so the way that we say it in the vineyard is the kingdom of God is now and not yet, meaning that the kingdom of God is here, but it's not here in its fullness. When Jesus brings the kingdom, he brings it, but it hasn't yet been completed. And so we see parts of it now, but not all of it. And so the the kingdom of God is now and not yet. And so when we think about the resurrection, what does this all mean for us here and now today? I mean, it's Super Bowl Sunday, right? And it's a huge topic. You're like, okay, so I'm going to be resurrected from the dead and be on a new earth. And how does this all work out? Bring it home, right? It's Super Bowl Sunday. What does this mean for us? What this means for us is that the church is the example that God has left for mankind to represent the kingdom of God. That we are an example to all of mankind of what the kingdom of God is like and and, and what it means to be a part of the resurrection. And even though we're not resurrected yet, obviously, but at some point in time we will, that we get to live as people who will be a part of the new heaven and the new earth. So when we think about the church, oftentimes, and unfortunately what man has done, and, and I have nothing, I mean, I don't have anything against... Catholics, I mean, there are some things to, you know, talk about. But the problem ends up being is that oftentimes people have created these huge structures to represent uh, God, and that we can go there and, and feel awe. And I've been to the Vatican, and I hope that everyone in the room gets to go at some point in time, and you feel awe. That is for sure. But God didn't ask us to, especially in the New Testament, to create these vast structures that represent Him. Because God isn't looking for a new temple. He had a temple, and He decided that that wasn't suitable for Him. And so last week we talked about where does the Holy Spirit dwell, that we are God's temple. This is where God dwells. This is where the Holy Spirit resides. So when we talk about this grand structures, what is much more impressive, and actually what God desires and what He has done intentionally, is that isn't the grand, amazing structure that God dwells in, but this is. You are. That you are more amazing, that you are the choice vessel and temple for the Holy Spirit and for God to dwell in, Not that. So if anyone ever asks you what is more impressive, the Vatican or you, you can say, well, I am. So, uh uh-oh. Party fell. It is good, though. It's bad to the bone. It's good. It's good. That should go off during one of my sermons. (sighs) Everyone's like, is my phone on silent? Um, it'd be funny to hear everyone's ringtones, huh? That's cool. That I, I like that. I like "Bad at the Bone." It's awesome. All right. So, again, God is not. This is not where He dwells. He dwells inside of us. And so, when we think about, okay, what does this mean for the here and now? God dwells inside of me. I am His temple. The church is the example. To all the people surrounding us that when, when God uh, goes to demonstrate his kingdom and demonstrate what the resurrection of the devil will look like and what the new earth will look like, it's meant to look like us. That we are the example. We're meant to live in such a way as to represent God's values and God's purposes and God's project of making all things new. So for example, there will be no poor people on earth. On the new earth, sorry. Right? There's going to be no poor people on the new earth. So that challenges us to to live. That's all right. We good? (laughs) Uh, It's all good. It's all good. there are no poor people on the newer, so the challenge is how do we live in a way that helps there to be no poor people? Or how do we help out with poor people, right? How are we blessing those people? And it's not just so much that we, like, help the poor, which is fantastic, but we should, as the church, go even deeper. I love Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's one of my favorite—whoa, man, we really skipped— um, he's one of my favorite theologians, and he says this, we are, not simply, uh, we are not to simply bandage the wounds of the victims beneath the wheel of injustice. We are to drive a spoke into the wheel itself. So on the one hand, we're like, okay, so there's not going to be any poor people on the new earth, which means that that's wrong. Right? So people living in poverty and all of that, like that's not okay because that's not going to be happening on the New Earth. So how do we help those people who are in that place? But it's not just enough to give a person a loaf of bread. It's to ask, well, why is that person poor to begin with? And then, of course, you open up a whole can of worms, which then takes a lot of time, but then it's, that's okay. Whoa, man. It's <laughs> <Cindy. laughs> all right come back though just leave that thing out there or just answer the phone just be like hey what's up so you have to ask again why are there poor people at all and so we As the representatives of the kingdom and people who live as the example of what the kingdom of God looks like and what it will look like to live on the new earth, we are the ones who drive a spoke into the wheel itself. This last week we were down at the Red Bluff Vineyard. We had a men's barbecue together, which was fantastic. I cooked up five pounds of pork belly and seared it all on this like griddle. And then we put barbecue sauce on it. It was just absolutely heavenly. But, anyways, uh, one of the, as I was talking to one of the guys from our church who's been attending here for a little bit and is a friend of mine I went to high school with, uh, he was telling me he was watching a um, TikTok and there was this guy that went and handed out um, uh, food to the poor. And he was thinking, well, I want to go do that. So, and listen to this clearly, he went and he took his EBT card. And he bought food for the poor. And he went out and he just gave, gave out food. Hadn't done anything like this. It was all new. Why? Because he's being touched by God. And he feels thankful and he wants to be a part of what it is that God is doing. Uh, Rodney and Cindy LaFrance, who just celebrated 50 years of marriage... Uh, Amazing. Cindy, you're a saint. Um, So what they've been a part of is they are building these tiny houses, like transitional houses, little tiny houses, which may look like nothing to you, may look smaller than the smallest bedroom in your house, but for someone who's living on the street, it's a big deal. And so... I mean, if you want any more information about that, you can speak to them. Again, what will the new earth be like? And if it's going to be like that, and the poor don't exist there, then why would we want the poor to exist now, and how can we help out? But again, you know, you want to ask bigger questions. Why are there people without houses in the richest nation to have ever existed in the history of all mankind? That's kind of weird. You're like, whoa! We have more material wealth than has ever existed in mankind. Uh, yet there's still people without houses. Hmm. Seems weird. Good conversations to have, I'm sure. And then last, um, I had uh, one of the things the Baldwins and back. Eric and Julia, you want to raise your hand? Uh, Eric. Eric is the administrator of the church. Lord bless his soul. And he was. He we did a preaching class, and he shared a story about a homeless man that they adopted. And at one point in time. They ended up bringing him back to the house where he did laundry and helped him to reconcile his relationship with one of the people in his family. And uh, evidently, the man was able to do that, and then he passed away. Again, we are the greatest example of what the kingdom of God looks like in the here and now. It's not the Vatican. It's you. You are the greatest example. You are. And the way that you include or demonstrate the kingdom of God, that's how people come to... Uh, know Him. In the new earth, again, how does this apply to us? There will be no segments of society. There won't be rich, poor, popular, the in crowd or the out crowd. One of the things I was hanging out with another friend this last week and we were talking about and one of the things I love about our church is it's just the diversity of our church. That it very much in many ways looks like Redding. Like a segment of Redding, like when you go to Costco, Costco doesn't necessarily look like Redding. Costco looks like a segment of Redding, you know. But Redding, we—it's a very diverse group. We have poor, we have rich, we have educated, we have uneducated, we have tatted, we have untatted, we have all sorts of different people who are a part of this community, and all of them are very valuable. Um, we will all dwell in harmony with the Holy Spirit, and right now we get glimpses of the miracles that that God uh, still does to this day. This last Sunday, we were hanging out, having the prayer and and worship night, and we had potluck, and there was a new guy there. We had never met him before. And so we were hanging out, and, and we were singing worship music, and this picture came into my mind that this guy had a dove flying in his hair. And so I shared this, like, vision that I had of him, and my wife later told me on, she was like, all I could think was, Sean, do not share that with this guy right now. But I, it's just something that popped into my head, and I'm like, well, I'm just going to share it, and, you know, I mean, we can all just practice, and it's okay to get it wrong sometimes. And so I said, hey, I don't really know you, but I have this picture of a dove flying out of your hair like this, and I'm like, this is going to totally bomb that's all I was thinking, but I'm going to be faithful. And so this guy says, are you serious? I'm like, I'm pretty serious. I'm, yeah, but I'm going for it right now, buddy. Help me out. Encourage me. And so he says, I can't believe you just said that. This morning at my house, and this gentleman had just moved here. he's trying to navigate things. He has a lot of loss from a house that burnt down in the Bay Area. He says, <clears throat> this morning at my house, I never see birds. And all of a sudden, all of these doves were flying all around my front yard, and they were acting crazy and doing all of this stuff. And I kept asking myself, what does this mean? What does this mean? <clears throat> and, and I'm like, well, I don't know what it means. I just saw the picture of it flying in your hair, you know. But in the end, he was very encouraged by this, you know, because God saw him. God was speaking to him. Um On the new earth, so again, there are no poor in heaven. There will be no segments of society, rich and poor, the in, the out, all of these things. There will be no wars, there will be no armies, there will be no conflict. And this may sound like a joke, but it's not. Christmas dinners, which I think we'll probably celebrate on the new earth, because we'll still celebrate the birth of Christ on earth. Christmas dinners will actually be wonderful with one another. (laughs) But I'm not joking. So what does that mean for the here and now? And this is going to get even more personal because everyone in the room, more than likely, most people in the room have some type of discord within their families. That's hard. It's really hard. Really hard. And, I mean, I am today exhausted. And in part, because I spent Thursday and Friday trying to reconcile a relationship with my sister that is so and painful because of the way that I treated her and the way that I was treated by my stepdad all the trauma in the household trying to resolve that why and, and I'm I'm the only believer in my family and they wonder they keep wondering why do you keep pressing into this why does this matter to you because it's not right Because I've been forgiven of everything I've ever done, but my family doesn't know forgiveness. There will be no family strife on the new earth. And I'm not okay that there's family strife within my family in the present. And that's really hard, man. Really hard. Did I spend two days, and still even today, feeling emotionally exhausted because I'm taking a stand to try and reconcile with my family? This is not a theory. This is not just like, thank you, Jesus, for saving me from, you know, my butt from the fire. This is a new way of living, a new way to be human. That's good for us, and it's good for people who don't believe. I keep advocating for my family, and it's they, they're just like, stop. And I'm like, I don't think I'm ever going to stop, because Jesus has never stopped with me. And then last, why does it matter today? Only people who believe will be a part of the resurrection of the dead. That's not, to me, that's sad news. But it's not my program. Meaning that sharing and demonstrating our faith in the here and now really matters. Really matters. And it's uncomfortable sometimes, and it's embarrassing, and people make all sorts of assumptions about you when you tell them that you're a Christian. But it really, really matters. Sharing our faith is incredibly important in small ways or big. It could be a quarter at a laundromat, it could be you preaching on a megaphone at the mall. But don't do that, because I wouldn't approve. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, so what? <laughs> don't, don't do it? Uh, that's how it all comes into the here and now. There will be no poor people on the new earth. There will be no segments of society on the new earth. We will dwell in harmony on the new earth, meaning reconciliation is the ideal. And that's where we're headed, And that's what we should advocate for now. But only those of us who believe will be there. So we need to share the good news. All right, we're going to have communion. We do this each Sunday. Communion represents uh, the bread which is Jesus' body which was broken for us Because we were born with broken bodies, so he broke his body for us, so if we choose his death as our own, we will also have his life. The wine represents his blood which is poured out for all of our sins, that if we're in Christ, he no longer sees us as sinful and broken. But he sees us as new creations, born again. We are now the righteousness of God in Christ. That he sees his son, we are clothed in white. And that we're free before him. So, communion is open for anyone who is a believer. Those who have said yes to Jesus. And anyone who would like to start following Jesus. If you want to start following Jesus today, then the communion table is open to you. The way that we do this is that uh, you take a cracker, you dip it into the wine... And then we'll hold on to it. You come down the center aisles and you do that. And then you go around the side. So if you would like to take communion, please come on down.
1: me rest and feel to cream Thank
0: Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you chose to come down here and be one of us, to take on our form, to die as one of us, to suffer like one of us, so that we could have the benefits of what you have and what you provide. Thank you for dying on the cross for us, taking our sins, taking our pain and our hurt. Thank you that you've given us the opportunity to be reborn and be a part of the resurrection of the dead. Let's partake. Um, as we were having, taken communion, people were coming up, um, Rodney had brought up that he kind of just felt like the whole idea of family reconciliation might be something that other people are wrestling with. So we have a couple minutes left. We have uh, five minutes left. We have nowhere else to go. We're going to just take a couple minutes, and if you, this is what we're going to do. If you are do have family stuff, no details, nothing, I'm just going to ask you to put your hands out, I'm just going to pray for us, don't have to share any details or anything like that, but the Holy Spirit is here, His presence is with us, He guides us into good places, He's given us the ministry of reconciliation, not only with him, but with others as well. So Lord, you see all the hands in here that are open. Holy Spirit, I ask that you come. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would give us visions. You would give us words, that you would give us encouragement. What is that next gracious step you would have us to take? Where would you lead us? What would we say? Will you be there with us in the moment of rejection? Will you be with us in the moment of hurt and pain? Would you reassure our hearts that you will be? Holy Spirit, come. Meet with your people. Bless us, be with us. Help us to be your kingdom people. Help us to obey the words that you've given us and to trust that the pictures that you put in our heads are from you and that the steps that you've given us are from you. And take a step out in faith. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you did want prayer for anything, you can come up here and I'd love to pray for you. And if not, have a fantastic Super Bowl Sunday.